We'll consider this afternoon a familiar story for you with uh, with us all. John chapter 9, verses 1 through 25. <clears throat> As Jesus passed by, he saw a man who had been blind since birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must carry out the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spit on the ground and made mud from the saliva and applied the mud to, the, to his eyes. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. So he left and washed and came back seeing. So the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, is this not the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, this is he. Still others were saying, no, but he is like him. The man himself kept saying, I am the one. So they were saying to him, how then were your eyes opened? He answered, the man who they called Jesus made mud and spread it on my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. And I went away and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I don't know. They brought the man who previously been blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath day that Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees were also asking him again how he received his sight. And he said to them, he applied mud to my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, but how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was disagreement among them. So they said again to the man who was blind, who do you say about him? What do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. The Jews then did not believe it, that he would uh, that he'd been blind and had received sight until they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight. And they questioned them, saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see his parents and answered and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already reached the decision that if anyone confessed him to be Christ, he was to be excommunicated from the synagogue. It was for this reason that his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So for a second time, they summoned the man who had been, born, been blind and said to him, Give God glory. We know that this man is a sinner. And then he answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. I know one thing. I was blind and now I see. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. I have a tendency in my life to quickly move on from things that first initially I wanted. And after a little while, I begin to lose my happiness for them. For so long, I was complaining to my wife that I cannot go a whole workout without my hair, headphones running out of battery. And so I did something that I never do. I bought myself some new headphones and I bought myself what I thought the top of the line headphones until I went to Apple the other day and I tried on their new headphones and suddenly the headphones that I bought no longer bring me the same happiness that they that they that they once brought me when I found out that Amazon delivered them. That is a testimony, saints of God, to things in our life, is it not? That there's some things, rather I should say there's all things in our life, 
that over time lose, lose a little bit of uh, happiness within us. There's some things, rather I should say, all things in our life will not hold on to the same value that it once held when we first initially got them. But saints of God, I'm here to tell you today that there is one thing in your life and it's not headphones. It's not the birth of your children. It's not even your wedding. Out of all the things in your life that have bring you, that brings you happiness, that will never fade away. Amen. It's this one true saints of God that we sing that, that brings us home to God. It, it is this one true saints of God that when you hear it, you shed tears inside. That, that when you hear it, you nod your head when you hear it. No matter if you're having the worst day in the world, you got to say amen. That truth is found, saints of God, in our verse here in the word of God, in verse 25. That once I was blind, but now I see. Amen. Saints of God, this morning, some lofty truths were preached. But I don't want you to think for one second that a simple truth like what I just said is not a lofty truth. I don't want you to think, saints of God, that blind people now being able to see is any more different, any more mysterious than the word of God becoming flesh. Saints of God, my question I have for you this afternoon are you happy? Are you joyous? Are you are how do you saints of God think about your salvation? Are you happy when you think about your salvation? Do you got to sing it as well three times to get you going? Do you got to listen to a sermon from one of your favorite ministers Sunday morning in order for you to get up to go to church? Saints of God, do you still smile when you hear that someone just got saved? Saints of God, when you think about Jesus Christ, and if you think about him hard and long enough, do you, do you start to get butterflies? I don't know about you, saints of God, but I still, I still in my soul shed a tear when I hear songs like, what, what it was for crimes that I had done. He groaned upon that tree. Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. And here's my favorite part of the whole song. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and my burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight. And now I am happy all the day. Saints of God, are you happy all the day? Can you can you say like the psalmist? I was glad when they said unto me, "Let us go into the house of the Lord." Maybe you forgot church. Maybe you have the life that we live. There's so many things going on in our own lives. Well, maybe you haven't heard this in a while. But if you haven't, church, let me remind you that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is still good news. No, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is still the greatest news on earth. Jesus Christ, saints of God, is still the name that is above every name. Jesus Christ and that name alone still makes demons tremble. The name Jesus Christ is still the sweetest name I know. And saints, this is what we gather as we come to stories in the Bible like John chapter 9. Because what we have in John chapter 9 is one of those miracle story saints that reminds you of how much of a sinner you are. And how much of a sweet savior Jesus Christ is. It reminds us of our spiritual condition upon birth. But it also reminds us, saints of God, this glorious truth. That there is not a sickness. There is not a disease. There is not a condition. that The Lord can't heal. As we come to John chapter 9. The story begins like most of our Lord's miracles. Jesus passed by. Jesus passed by. 
And after we this, we, we immediately are introduced to a man. We introduce to his parents later, but we know something about him. Two things. Number one, he's blind. But unlike Bartimaeus, he was born blind. And although we meet this man who's been blind since birth, church, there are four people groups who are more blind than this man. There are four people groups who are more blind, I should say, that are in a worse condition than him. Church, what's worse than being physically blind? It's having your eyes wide open, but failing to see the truth. What's worse than being physically blind is blinding yourself in your own ignorance and arrogance. This is the condition of four people groups in this text. The first people group that are blind are the disciples. And they, and they suffer from the blindness of Christ's healing power. Now notice that the disciples see this blind man. Notice this. And the first thing that they say is, who sinned? What, what, was it this man or was it his parents? And here, church, is where we see their blindness on display. For they're so concerned with this man's family history of sin that they ignore that there's a healer standing right next to them. That they're so concerned with who sinned, when they sinned, where did they sin, when they got the Savior of sinners right next to them. They're so worried about this man's sin history that they ignored all of the miracles that they have seen Christ perform up to this point. I mean, saints of God, wouldn't your first words when you see this blind man, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be, hey, hey, Jesus, do you got any, do you got any healing power for this man here? Do, do, do you mind healing this man rather than asking and questioning what sin did this man commit, church of God? I'm here to tell you that we can learn from this. We can learn from this. Because sometimes we talk about the sins of the world so much that we can forget to lift up this world and all of its filth to the Lord in prayer. Saints of God, we ought to spend less time complaining about this world, complaining about our political leaders, complaining about the laws that are being passed, and more time lifting up this world to the one Amen. who only can save this world. Amen. Now, I'm not saying have your, don't have your opinions. But what I'm saying is you have a God you can pray to. Amen. Saints of God, this is the first people group. The disciples so worried about this man's sin and less about this man's salvation. So worried about this man's blindness. And less about his healing. But there's a second people group. And the second people group are the spectators that are around this man. We see in verses 8 through 10. So the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, is this not the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, this is he. Still others saying, no, but he is like him. How is it that your eyes were open? This is after the miracle, by the way. As of the disciples, these people are blind to the situation that just took place. They're saying they're even blinded by their own ignorance and saying, but that's not even him. They don't even look like him. I just saw him this morning blind and begging. And now he knows what I look like. He ain't begging no more. Who is this man? They assume that the same man who they saw this morning, blind and begging, can't be who they see now. And saints of God, it, this is not a picture of our family and friends. Is it not? The same ones who knew what you used to look like back in the day. The same ones who knew what you used to talk like, sound like back in the day. What you used to dress like, listen to back in the day. All the various vices that you would Entertain yourself with back in the day and they see you now and they still won't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. Amen. 
They still can't believe that this is the same one who I grew up with. That this is the same one who I used to do all of these various vice activities with. And they still won't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The third group of blind people are the Jews and the Pharisees. That's rightly to be expected, right? 16 through 18, therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God. Because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can this man perform a work of God if he's a sinner? The Jews didn't believe about him, believe him. Typical of the Pharisees, as you know, constantly in the Bible, they're not acknowledging in plain sight what they see in front of them. It's literally Jesus can recreate the whole world right in front of their eyes and they still won't believe. They still will reject the Lord Jesus Christ. In terms of God, let this be a reminder to us all that faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is not an argument to be won, but it's a gift to be received. Rather, church, I should say it better. You can't debate people into heaven. As smart as we think we are, you can't debate people into heaven. You can't debate people into believing in the Lord Jesus Christ without the help of Jesus Christ working within them. Sir, you may say like myself, that arguments about the reliability of the resurrection is what won me over to Christianity. You, can, you might say things like arguments over the reliability of the word of God is what won me over to Christianity. But saints of God, in the final analysis, in the end... Ultimately, what wins people to Christ is Christ himself. Ultimately, what wins people to God is God moving the person closer to him. You hear atheists all the time say things like, well, if God appeared to me, and if I had some material evidence before my eyes, then I would believe. Atheists, silly atheists, of course. They say this all the time. Or they say things like, like, if I had material evidence for God's existence, then I would believe as if the world itself is not enough. But church, if the people in Jesus day, if they can see men who were who've been born blind, now were given sight, if they can see miracles right in front of them and still not believe then what makes atheists think that they can have a material evidential object in front of them? And they will, and they won't do what the Pharisees did. But church of God, what this means is belief in the Lord Jesus Christ goes beyond mere facts. It goes beyond mere data. It goes beyond mere just things that others have said. No, 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 no. This is a supernatural truth. Which means that there's actually someone, three persons that got a that got to work inside of you that are supernatural themselves. Mm-hmm. But church, let me get off that. Let's not be so hard on the Pharisees. And let's not be so hard on the atheists. Let's give them a break. Because church, we got to be Christians who can't forget who we ourselves used to be. Meaning church, we got to be Christians who don't just talk about the sins and the blindness of other people. Without we ourselves recognizing and acknowledging that we once were sinful and just as blind as they were. Saints of God, we cannot forget that we once used to see God's creation, see all of his goodness, see all of his love, see all of his beauty, and still not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, that's why I love St. Paul. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11 after he describes who won't inherit the kingdom of God, the sexual immoral, the idolaters, the homosexuals. And we can say, Amen, Paul. They won't inherit the kingdom of God. I'm not like them. But Paul says, but wait a minute, in verse 11, he says, but such were some of you. Such were some of you. Paul lays out who can't enter heaven. Then he says, but don't get it confused because you once were in their same bracket. That you once were same under the umbrella. Oh, church, don't ever forget when we talk about the grace of God and we talk about who we are now in Jesus Christ. 
Don't ever forget the such or some of you verses in the Bible. But the fourth group, the last group, and probably, saints of God, the most heartbreaking of the people groups is the parents. The parents. In fact, if you're a parent, this is a model and example of how not to be a parent. The Jews and the Pharisees, we understand, don't believe. The spectators, we can give them a break. Okay, you saw something before your eyes that is otherworldly. But the parents, this is where it starts to hit home. The parents, the Jews and the Pharisees, they can't believe what they're seeing. So, so they, they call the parents over for a, for a chat. And they say, parents of this blind man. Is this your son who was born blind? Is this your boy who was born blind and now can see? The parent says, this is our son. He's been born blind. But how he sees, we do not know. Matter of fact, you ask him. You ask him. You defer to him. He's of age. Talk to him. It's the same as in not church. When a Christian is more afraid of what people will do to them over and above what God will say of them. It's a saying, it's a, it's a sad, sad, sad thing, saints of God. When a Christian is afraid of losing their position in the world over and above losing their position in heaven. There are some Christians who sit in high places. That will do whatever it takes to keep their seat. There are some Christians, and I saw this growing up, who have a reserved seat in the church. There are some Christians who, when they walk in the room, and don't get it twisted, reform people too, they automatically look and see who's coming. I say this church not the ramp. But for you to see that this is the excuse of the parents. Because you might ask, why, why are the parents acting like this? Why are they saying, you go talk to him, not me. I got nothing to do with this. Here's your answer. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already reached the decision that anyone confessed him to be Christ. Not that he would die. Not that he would be stoned. Not that they would lose anything other than this. They'd be excommunicated from the synagogue. Just let that marinate for a minute. You're not going to die. But you can't come to church. Saints of God, in essence, the parents, the parents, the, the same parents who I'm sure have cried many nights over their son being born blind. The, the same parents who I'm sure would pray to God and ask if that if, if God would hear their prayers and hear and, and heal their baby boy. The same parents who I'm sure would ask the Lord, Lord, what did I do to deserve this? The same parents who pray that one day that their son would see what they look like. Those parents, those parents, saints of God, are now ignoring the miracle that just took place in their son's life in order to keep their front row seats in the synagogue. The same parents who cried at night are now saying, you ask him. Because I don't want to lose my position in church. In church, we can take a lesson from this. Hear me now. Please hear me now. Is that miracles are never to be normal to us. Miracles are never to be normal to us. Praise the Lord for you, brother. 
for God bringing you out. Praise the Lord for you, brother, for God saving you when you got hit. Praise the Lord for you, saints, for God saving you, protecting you, keeping you safe. Amen. But saints of God, praise the Lord for saving you. For saving you. Because that's not normal. You've been saved for 20 years. That's great. That still ain't normal. You've been saved for one year. Praise the Lord. That's still not normal. Saints of God, this is why. When Brother Bobby and Sister Lucy, when I had their pastoral visit with them. When they told me that their children pray that the Lord would give them more knowledge. I cried on the way home. Because that's not normal. This is why I cried when my son Owen, I overheard him teaching his younger brother, God loves you. I cried. Matter of fact, I didn't cry, but I will cry. One of my brother Isaac's brother, a son EJ, just told me to pray for that baby that just been born for their salvation. That's not normal, saints of God. That ain't normal. And we need to never treat it like it's normal. We should never act like it's normal. Saints of God, a sinner believing in Lord Jesus Christ ought to never be normal to us. You know, reformed folk do this a lot. They do this a lot. Because reformed folk act like only reformed folk can be Christian. Reformed folk only praise the Lord when only that one has been converted over to the reformed faith. Saints of God, I'm here to tell you a truth that I wish I learned when I was younger. That when you hear of someone being saved, first rejoice over the mercy, the love, and the goodness of God before you asking, before you start asking what church that person is now attending. But before you get to what they believe theologically, praise the Lord that at least they know this, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Saints of God, let me make a pointer to you. Heaven is going to be filled with A group of people that don't believe what you believe. You're going to see some popes in heaven. You're going to see some Roman Catholics in heaven. You're going to see some Eastern Orthodox in heaven. You might see some good Mormons in heaven. If they didn't believe all the crap. You're going to see some people. Who don't hold on to the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. Or the Westminster Confession of Faith. You're going to see some people in your own tradition who you say, how in the world you get here? But then you should say, how in the world did I get here? How in the world did we all get here? Because church heaven is not a reformed club. Heaven, again, is not a Reformed-only club. Heaven is not an Armenian-only club. It's not a Lutheran-only club, an Anglican-only club, a Roman Catholic Eastern Orthodox-only club. But heaven is reserved for the whosoever will. Saints of God, heaven is reserved for those who are weary and heavy burdened. Heaven is reserved for people who heard the voice of Christ in John 7, who said, if you're thirsty, let him come. To me and drink. Heaven is reserved, saints of God, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's who heaven is for. Now, as we see these four people groups all blinded. Let's now consider. In our short time together, the miracle itself. We have the blind man. Disciples ask who sinned in this family. Strange question, is it not? I mean, it's a stupid question, but it's also a strange question. Because you have to understand at this time, as many of you know, it was wrongly assumed that people who have been born blind are are linked with someone in their past that has sinned. 
That people have been born blind means that there's someone that somebody did in your past that has caused you to be this way. But also, too, people who've been born blind are under the judgment of God. People who've been born blind, hear me now, because if you don't get this and the, the rest of the story doesn't it doesn't make you shout the way you ought to shout. People who've been born blind. God doesn't love them. People who've been born blind. God does not care about them. Let me just fast forward. I'm talking about you. People who've been born blind, saints of God. God has no. No eyes for them. He's turned their face from them. And saints of God, this is why I love Jesus. Because Jesus says in verse three, it was neither this man sins nor his parents. But it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Here, Jesus puts a knife to the cultural teachings of the day. Here, Jesus puts to death the opinions of the of the traditions of man. And he says that the reason why this man is blind is not because of this man's own sin. It's not because of his parents own sin. This man's blindness has not found its origins in him. But rather, the reason why this man is blind is for one reason and one reason only for God to get the glory. That's why he's been born blind. Let me say it another way. The reason why this man has born, been born blind is so that God can get the praise when God's son heals him. Amen. Now, you got to be a real Christian to amen that. <laughs> some of you got some thorns in your side. Some of you are dealing with some things. And to hear Jesus say something like the thorn in this man's side is not because of him. But so that God can get glory. Now, let me just let me just clear something for you. God can get glory any way he wants. Because one might say, well, can't there be another way for God to get glory? No, no, no. God can do whatever he wants. And if he wants you to be on a sickbed from the moment you were born to the moment you receive faith in Christ, then that's just what it's going to be. Church, essentially what Jesus is saying is this, is that this man's blindness, it's not by accident. This man's blindness does not come from his family tree. That this man's blindness has been purposely designed by God. That God was doing something when he made this man. That, that, that when God chose to shut this man's eyes, he knew that something was going to happen one day to this man. You see, you, you see, saints of God, it's only as if Jesus is saying, it's better that this man was born blind than these four people groups who have 20-20 vision. It's essentially, that's what he's saying, because church... This man's blindness is the way he met Jesus. This man's thorn in his side is the way the Savior was revealed to him. I know what Christ speaks of well here, church. That's why I'm preaching the way that I am. You might be laughing, but I'm preaching the way that I am because this man's is this is my experience as well, church. I wish my father didn't die. But if he had not died, then maybe the Savior wouldn't reveal himself to me in the manner in which he did. I wish my brother didn't get hit by a drunk driver at age 19. But saints of God, when you look back on that day, it wasn't a drunk driver that was hitting him. It was God waking him up. And when you look back on your life, saints of God, and you see all of the mess that you've been through, and you say, I wish I didn't have to go through that. But when you look back on your life, saints of God, 
You, you can say like that old hymn, through many dangers, tolls and snares, I have come already. Does grace have brought me thus far? And grace will lead me home. I'm trying to tell you, church, the things that have happened in your life, whether good or bad, accidents, no accidents, they weren't random. They were, they were for a specific purpose, saints of God. That they've been designed by God for you to look back and for you to say right now, Amen. To look back and to give God glory. And this is what we see in Jesus' answer. Jesus says, neither this man sinned nor his parents, but it was God. It was that God might display the works in him. And here, church, in this in this right here, early verse, before Christ even performs a miracle, the first ray of the sweet gospel is shining forth. Think about this blind man, church. Imagine his life as a child. Imagine what he would hear growing up. God doesn't love you. God does not care for you. God has turned his face away from you. The reason why you're blind is because God is blinded to you. God's judgment is upon you. And here, here the God man steps on the scene. And he says something to this man that this man has never heard before, that this man has never even contemplated. Is that God loves blind people too. God loves blind people too. Amen. God loves those with leprosy too. Yes. I hope you amen this. God loves Gentiles too. Yes. God loves those who people hate. Yes. God loves those who people despise. God loves those who people say ill. God loves those who people say, oh, I'm so glad I'm not him. God loves those people, saints of God. God loves the people who you hate. God loves your enemies. Saints of God, here the God man steps on the scene. And he says, your blindness. You know, this, this has all been a part of God's plan. That your blindness has a purpose. That God only chose to close your eyes that I may one day open them. Amen. This, thanks of God, is why God is so good. Amen. This is why he's so good. Because his saving power is not limited by the opinion of other people. God's saving power is not limited by the opinion of the culture of tradition. Yes. Let me give you one of my favorite Bible stories just really quick. You remember Joshua, the high priest, right? And Zechariah. He stands before the Lord. He's the high priest, though. And what's interesting is he's he's covered, though, in filthy garments. And the high priests are not to be dirty. But what makes the story even worse is that Satan is right next to him. So you got the judge of all the earth. You got Zechariah the high priest who is dirty. And you got Satan ready to pounce on him. There is no way Zechariah can win this case. Except if it wasn't for the Lord. What does the Lord say? Before Satan can open his mouth, the Lord says, I rebuke you, Satan. I rebuke you, Satan. I rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. And you might say, but why? Why is God doing this? Then he says, is this man here not a log that's been snatched from the fire? Let me make it plain for you. Is this not my child? Is this not one whom I have foreloved before the foundation of the world? Is this not one? Whom I have set my face upon and I will be pleased with. Is this not mine? And then what happens next? The angels come. They take off his garments. And they put a clean garment on him. 
Saints of God, maybe maybe you didn't get it. Maybe you didn't get it. But your greatest adversary are not the ones who you flipped off the other day. The ones who have the worst thing to say about you are not the ones that you have done the worst to. Satan has the most to say about you. Satan has the best offense to bring to the Lord in order for you to spend an eternity in hell. Satan does. But but God silences Satan. He rebukes Satan. He shuts Satan's mouths. And let me tell you, church, before God saved you, all those who didn't like you, God ignored them. Before God saved you, all those people who you did wrong to in your life, God paid no mind. All those people who you have done the worst things to, God did not sit down with them and say, do you think I should save them? God did not, he, he did not talk with Satan and say, Satan, what do you think about this person? No, saints of God. No. God said of you what he says to Joshua. Is this not a log snatched from the fire? Is this not my son? Is this not my daughter? Matter of fact, remove his filthy garments. Put him on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's what he said of you, saints of God. As I'm preparing this sermon, I often listen to random sermons from other ministers. I'm not going to tell you their names. Don't listen to them. But there was one minister. He said that when President Donald Trump wanted to pay a visit to his church, he had to go through an extensive ordeal. And one of the things was the FBI sat him down. And the FBI said, Pastor, I know you're a good man. But is there anything that is not an outside of your FBI file that we should know about? Is there anything that you have done in your past that we should know about? Because the president does not want to involve himself in another scandal. And if we find out that there is something in your past that the president doesn't like, then he's not going to come. Again, if there's something in your past, If there's something that you're hiding from us, if there's something about you that the president and that others would be ashamed of, the president will not come to you. I'm here to tell you, church, that the God who we serve is better than the president. I'm here to tell you that the God who we serve is greater than the president. Because our God not only knows our FBI file, Our God knows our sin file. And even in light of him knowing our deepest and darkest secrets, he still sends his son, Jesus Christ, in the likeness of sinful flesh to redeem those in the flesh. Saints of God, in spite of all of what he knows for about us, and in spite of what my record of sin may say, my Bible says the son of man came to seek and save that which was lost. So Jesus does something unusual. He he spits on the ground. He makes some mud. And he puts it on the man's eyes. And he tells the man, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, I say that this is something unusual. Dare I say it's something contradictory. Because this is a weird method to save someone. Putting mud on someone's eyes, let alone it's your own spit that's in his eyes. But Jesus can do whatever he wants. He puts mud in his eyes. I say this is kind of contradictory, saints, because if you were to put mud on my eyes, you would blind me. And and, and I'm sure the people are seeing Christ put mud on his eyes and they're saying, you know, Jesus, you're actually making things worse, not better. I mean, this man can't see, but now he for sure can't see. What what exactly are you doing? But here, saints of God, Christ is showing us that this man, and hear me now, is undergoing a recreation. 
that, that, that this man, that just as in the Garden of Eden, when man was formed from the dust of the ground, here he takes mud from the ground. And here this is not to restore something that this man had, but to give this man something that he never had. He creates something in this man that is new, that is fresh. It is here that Jesus Christ shows that he is truly Emmanuel, God with us. But also, saints of God, he's showing that there is an obstacle that can come between the shepherd and the sheep. That there is not a blindness, there is not a condition that can come in between the Savior and the saved. So with mud in his eyes, he goes to the pool and he comes back with sight. In church, as I was contemplating this text, out of all the amazing things that this text presents to us, this one thing stuck out to me, that Jesus heals this man. But this man didn't didn't ask to be healed. Have you noticed that? That that Jesus actually just wakes up one morning and decides to heal someone. There is no record. This man crying for help. There's no record of this man praying for help. There's no record of this man wishing the day that he was born because he's blind. But Jesus is so good. But Jesus being full of mercy and love. He gives this man what he desperately desires without this man even asking for it. And church, isn't this true of you and I? God is so good to us that he does things for us that we don't even ask for. Oh, I hope, I hope, you're, I hope you wake up right now. God does stuff for you. That you don't even ask for. Saints of God, you know this to be true. It's one thing to receive something from the Lord. That was an answer to your prayer. But it's a whole nother reason to praise the Lord. When you receive something that you didn't even ask for. Saints of God, this is how we are constantly experiencing the goodness of God in our lives. I know many of you. Because I know myself. How many of us forget to pray for God's protection? Yet he still keeps us safe. How, how many of us forget to pray for God's provision? Yet he still keeps chicken on the table. How many of us, saints of God, forget to, for God, to, to pray for God to supply our every need? And he still gives us life, breath, and all things. As we come to the end of our verses, this man comes back from the pool with his sight. Some of the people are confused. Some of the people are outraged. The people around ask the man, how were your eyes opened? I love this answer this man gives. He says, a man named Jesus. A man named Jesus. Put mud on my eyes. And told me to go wash. And I came back with my sight. But if you think that answer is good. The Pharisees. In verse 24. They say. You give God the glory. Don't don't listen to this man. Don't follow this man. This man is a sinner. Don't mess with him. You might have been healed. But 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 don't follow him. The blind man says, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. Let me put it in Bakersfield language for you. He might be a sinner. He might be everything that you say that he is. He, He might be the worst of the worst and the scum of the scum. All I know. All I know. Is that I was blind. And now I see. He, he, he says here, all I know is that all of my life I've been blind. All I know is that I woke up, or rather, I went to sleep last night blind. I woke up this morning blind. 
I've been living all of my days up to this point blind. But then I met a man named Jesus. Who said to me that my blindness will soon turn uh, turn into my testimony. And, and, And he put mud on my eyes. And he told me to go wash in the pool. And saints of God, as he was washing his eyes in that pool, something strange and amazing began to happen. Things that used to be dark, the lights began to flicker. He, 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 for the first time, began to see the very thing that he would beg for, which is water. He began to see his own hands. He, he began to see in the water, for the first time, what he looks like. Saints of God, for the first time in his life, he sees. Amen. And saints of God, this is why I preach the way that I do. And this is why this man here preaches the way that he does. This is why I'll follow Jesus until he brings me home. This is why I can't take a nap when the sermon is going forth. This is why I ain't got to listen to it is well on repeat to get me going. This is why I ain't got to read the Psalms in order for me to love Jesus Christ. Saints of God, this is why I don't have to do all the extra things because when I think about what Jesus has done for me, because Christ, or rather, this blind man, He's not the only one that's been blind. That the healing of this blind man is not the only healing of blind people that have ever taken place in the history of blind people. But I was once blind. And you were once blind. But amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And this is why church, we can smile the way that we do. This is why, church, the world is confused about who we are. This is why, church, we can laugh in the midst of trouble. That that we can we can dance when there ain't none playing. That we can keep running when no one is chasing us. That we can laugh when nothing is funny. For it had not been for the Lord who was on my side. I still would have been blind. I still would have been begging. Saints of God, I tell you this, church. I tell you this because we're going into the new next year. And the one thing that I pray for you is the one thing that God wants for you is that he wants you to be happy. And not happiness in a way in which that comes from temporal things. But the happiness that's only found when you think about this one truth that I once was blind and now I see And now I'm happy all of my days. Saints of God, let us now for a moment contemplate on that truth.